Hello, and welcome to Danny Golden's podcast with the lovely and talented Miss Heidi Bacani, licensed marriage family therapist. Hi, Danny. Thank you for having me again. Yes, thank you so much. <laughs> so today we are very excited. We're going to be talking about HSPs, also known as highly sensitive people. Mm -hmm. And um, just to briefly recap for those of you um, that are just joining us, last episode, we dissected um, the digital short therapist in need of therapy. Yes, um, yes which is what? I said that was very fun. Yeah, that was that was very fun. Um, it took us several times to get it perfect, but we're very happy with the completed product. So please check it out if you haven't done so already. Um, and then we're going to jump right into your disclaimer, Heidi. Okay, disclaimer time. Yes. To the audience and the listeners, please don't take the information we provide as medical advice or consider this as a replacement for... Um, therapy. Um, the content of our podcast is solely meant to be used for informational, educational, entertainment purposes only. Period. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> um, so this episode, Highly Sensitive People, is very special to well, all the episodes we do, but this one um, hits a little different chord um, as Heidi and I both identify as highly sensitive people. And just something personal I wanted to add is I have felt very different my whole life, um, as I'm sure a lot of the audience has by viewing and, you know, uh, listening to this content. And when I emotionally vomited my feelings to the therapist featured in Therapist in Need of Therapy Part 3, mm -hmm. they were um, kind enough to recommend a book called The Highly Sensitive Person by Elaine, a, 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 Elaine N. Aaron. And yes, so here is the book for all the viewers. <laughs> Let me just make sure. Okay, I got it in there. And all my tabs, right? Um, so this was just, this has just been a great tool for both me and Heidi. And uh, I highly recommend it for the audience if you're looking for some to delve into further about your trade. Yeah. And I think this is actually even a really good book for non HSPs, non highly sensitive people. Um, yes. Or clinicians like myself or um, anyone who feels like they are not coping well with major life stressors. This is a great book for, I think. I think this is, this speaks, you know, well to people who are, having a hard time with major life changes. Very well said. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. You do not have to be an HSP or a highly sensitive person to understand what we're really? talking about. This, right. This affects mm -hmm. everybody. Mm -hmm. We've all been there. Um, so the next point I wanted to make, I'm just looking at my outline is I am not the biggest fan of labels. And this is something that Elaine Aaron talks about. Um, and the reason I bring this up, and I think it's important, is because in the book, she goes out of our way, and I feel like this is an issue that we have in society today where people are very um, inclined, more inclined to be like, I'm this, so I have to stay in this box, and this is my wheelhouse, and I can't go out of my wheelhouse because this right. is who I am. Right. And I think it's very, very important, and one of the reasons why we're here in this life on this planet is to get outside of our comfort zone and acknowledge the cues and digest 
the information of, oh, yes, this is a part of me that I can identify with, this isn't and whatnot, but then move forward and be able to not stay in that box and not let that be our fenced in area of who we are. Right. And I think, I think Dr. Aaron talks about how, um, like, because you, because one identifies, because I identify with being HSP, mm-hmm. um, she makes reference to basically, like you said, go outside your comfort zone, um, for, going outside your comfort zone, confronting the fear, confronting the narrative, confronting the myth, the fiction. (laughs) Right. Um, In order for, in order for, for transformation and change to occur um, and to not reinforce the fear. She, she really emphasizes that in her book too, which I think is so helpful to have to read. And it's like, you know, having, a mom tell me like, you can do it. Like try, it's going to be okay. You're not going to die. You're not going to disintegrate. Try. And then doing it and seeing like, I didn't die or disintegrate. <laughs> right. Is really funny. right. <laughs> so, yeah, um, no, it's like, yeah. When, um, so one, something I was thinking about when you were saying that and something I was thinking about when she was, um, when I was reading the book is yeah. that, you know, when you are approached with an opportunity that is outside of your comfort zone, like whether it's you're going on a trip by yourself, or you want to go to a concert and the concert's multiple hours, or it's multiple days, and you have this fear factor, it's, you know, another important thing that she talks about is surrounding yourself with people who understand that. So if during that time, you need to take a time out, um, that's completely okay. But just try to put yourself in that situation, because you grow as a human being and expand your world when you do. Right. Right. Yeah. The world definitely opens up more, I think. And the world needs you. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and I like what you just mentioned too, what you touched on is how to love, how to love myself through, Mm. um, through a, uh, a a situation or event that's making me very uncomfortable is by surrounding myself with people that understand and that, um, accept me as I am and, um, love me for all of me and, and make space for, make space for me and respect my boundaries when I need, um, time away from the group or, you know, whatever, whatever it is that I may be asking for. Yes. I love that you elaborated on that. Um, cause it is so true. And I think we can all, um, dig up memories of relationships we've had with people where it wasn't the quite perfect match. Right. right. So, um, we didn't have that support and feel that, um, right. Level of being understood that I feel is the foundation and essential for a healthy relationship. Yes. Whether it's a friendship, a marriage, what, whatever. Yes, 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 yes. We'll talk more about loving ones. So yes, exactly. Our, That'll be something. Yeah. <laughs> we've got lots of things to cover. Okay. So, um, we just talked about all that stuff. Um, and I'm just going over my outline in today's society. I feel we often look for excuses and reasons to sit on the sidelines. Don't, um, put yourself out there. Uh, your sensitivity is not something to be feared, but it's something to be explored. And it is important that we learn not to judge ourselves for how we react or process the world around us. Um, so one of the biggest, um, pieces of, guided information I got was um, 
if you have observed two animals in nature, mm-hmm. you don't judge when one animal reacts to the other animal. Whereas we, I've noticed that in certain situations, I'll judge my behavior. And mm-hmm. I was just watching this clip and it was, um, I'm forgetting the actor's real name, but the guy who played George Costanza. And he was talking about this, about offering grace. Uh-huh. And you don't look at a bud a flower bud and start screaming at it and be like, why don't you open? Why don't you open? And I feel like I do that to myself sometimes. And I think it's really important to be reminded that that's not healthy and we don't do that in nature. So why are we doing that to ourselves? Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Um, Really good way to look at it. Look at how ourselves also, I think through, through our sensitivities or through um, difficult times. Yeah. yeah, and our frustrations, right? Um, okay, so let's dive right in and let's talk about the science of highly okay. sensitive people. Well, that was actually a good segue because you brought up um, the whole, um, the natural world around us and how we behave and how we treat mm-hmm. and how we respect and, and appreciate a flower, whatever stage it's in, you know? Right. Um animals have hsp2 like there are you know in in when we have a um i have two dogs i have a norwegian elk hound big 80 pound dog and i have a little swedish malhoon and he's 26 pounds and my little guy is um he's hsp for sure because i mean you know he's the kind of dog that will like um if he brush, if a bee is near him or like a, anything, a, a fly, if a fly lands on him, he's going to like turn around and look at his butt and be like, what do you, <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's totally Barkley too. So me. <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. It's funny to watch. So in nature, yes, like HSP definitely exists even in nature. Um, so I just love that. I love that about uh, Dr. Erin, how she brings that that point up in her book about how animals have this trait as well. Yes. So HSP is how I understand it is is um, personality traits that humans have. HSP is is a personality trait, and we all fall on the range of sensitivity somewhere, and some of us are less and some of us are more and um things like environment um like caregiver the caregiver that raises us and how much we're overstimulated by them or understimulated by them is going to affect uh how we um how sensitivity is brought out um as well as genetics um sensitivity can be inherited uh when you look at parents you know the the difference in parents and which traits you develop you know uh from parents um that is inherited and also um it's also in how brain development occurs is how sensitivities or people with HSP, um, fall on the range. They have a fully formed, according to Dr. Aaron, they have a fully formed system in the brain that 
I think it's it's the part that in, is inhibited, like behavior inhibition, the part that, wait, let me back up. I think it's actually the behavioral activation by, I don't want to misquote her. Hang on one second. <laughs> no, I, this is, you know. I don't want to misquote her. You do okay, you. Here we go. Here we go. Behavior activation. So behavior activation, there's, let me back up. Her, her research on brain, on the brain and how HSPs, um, how HSP develops in the brain um, is based on some research that says that like the brain is made up of two systems. One, one system is the behavior activation system and the second system is the behavior inhibition system. The behavior activation system is developed by two months of age. Like, probably not like fully, fully developed, but like it's developed by two months of age. So it, we continue to like develop it through throughout life. But it's amazing that like by two months, we're already, we already have that, that feature in our personality or like our, our behavior. And then the, the other part of the other system in the brain um, that's developed is the um, behavior inhibition, which is, developed by six months of age. So we have these two very separate systems in the brain that help us function in life. You know, they're, and, and we have them so at such a young age. Um, the behavioral activation system is the part of the brain that tells us to take action, to like walk, to, you know, reach for something um, at two months old, to, um, chew the food at two months old to, um, look for mom at two months old. And then the pause to check system is the part is the system or the part of the brain that tells us to be careful. That's fire. That's hot. That's dangerous. So like take a step. Don't back. touch that stove. Don't right. Touch, yeah. Don't touch the stove. Um, and, um, the people the, H the people with HSP are the ones that have a, a more developed pause to check system, basically. So that's a little bit of background or insight into like why people that have HSP have HSP, I think, because they're, they're part, they're part of the brain that is the pause to check system is a little bit more developed. Okay. So I just have this story I was thinking of when you were saying that. So okay. to like dive into it and give an example for uh -huh. the listeners and the viewers, um, would that pause check to pause to check system be described as, would this be a good example? Um, so when I was really young and I lived back East, there was a snowstorm and I was determined to swim in the snow and I, I don't know, age two to four. Um, probably age range. And so I went and put on my swimsuit and then I put on my little ski boots and mm -hmm. opened the front door and, or no, I actually was demanded that I go outside to swim in the snow and I wanted mm -hmm. to go in the front yard. And, um, this was before I looked at the snow and my mom said, you know, was no, you cannot do that. You cannot swim right. in the snow. Don't go out there in your swimsuit. And I was like, no, very adamant that I do this. Right. And then once she put me on the front step of the, uh -huh. you know, um, 
I was looking at the snow and I remember as a child observing, this isn't uh-huh. what I was imagining in my head. In my head, I was imagining it was going to be fluffy and I could swim through it, but this looked hard and crunchy. So would that yeah, be yeah. the pause to check versus just diving in there? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Good. Really good example of the pause to check system. Yeah. Okay. You were aware of well, you observed like the quality of the texture, the texture of the quality of the, the snow, snow, right? And decided like too crunchy. This doesn't match my imagination, right? <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yep. So, okay. Uh, the HSPs definitely are the ones um, that are gonna like refrain or hold back from acting on impulse. Um, oftentimes to uh, avoid, you know, avoid something painful or fearful. And I think this translates over into adult relationships, relationships, you know, childhood, adolescent, adult relationships where, where I know for me, like there have been times where I may have, um, really hesitated to go into a relationship with someone or, or hesitated to like, uh, initiate communication with someone or, um, or said no to random opportunities to do things with socially with people. So yeah. that's a wonderful example. Cause I can definitely think of that. And I can also think of examples when I didn't listen to that system and I mean, I paused and I checked, but then I was like, no, I'm going to go forward. Right. And then I went forward and it wasn't to the betterment of me. It was definitely right. Right. something I should have paused and turned and walked away from. Yeah. And Dr. Aaron talks about how that is the value that an HSP, HSP brings into um, a family system or, or a marriage or you know, any relationship because they're the more, they're the more cautious of the two individuals maybe. And, um, they're going to, they're going to proceed a little bit more with caution when making decisions sometimes. So yeah, I like that. No, it is. And I love how she refers to HSPs as the advisor class, as opposed to the warrior class. And I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, um, Right. That pause to check system and also the ability to be um, to process the subtle stimuli of everything around us and be able to um, form it into this kind of like put this puzzle together and be like, okay, well, if I go that way, this is going to happen and play the tape. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. The warriors are the um, behavior activated um, individuals in society. Yeah. Whereas the, the HSPs are the, like the, like you said, the advisors, the creative people. Um, so yeah, there's, there's value for sure in both those um, absolutely types of people, of course. So, but I think because of our society, we, we are stigmatized to think that people that are sensitive are, are, you know, not inadequate in some way or not good enough. We and Right. Right. Um, Dr. Aaron also talks about how in other cultures like Asian culture, um, HSPs are thought of as the more highly intelligent, like people in the community. 
because they're a little more restrained, they're a little more sh like shy, I think is the adjective. Yes. She uses them. that a lot. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, good stuff. She writes about, she, I think she does a nice job of, of really, um, giving appropriate praise to people that have this trait. No, I definitely agree. And it was validating for some of the experiences. Um, and so the examples she used um, were validating to some of the past experiences I've had. And yeah. it was a way for me to understand and view how I navigated that situation in a way mm -hmm. that I had maybe beat myself up for in the past, but made sense based on having this trait. So that was a nice yeah. feeling. Right. Very valid. Yeah. I, I got the same exact, I had the same as experience. It felt very validating for me too. Mm -hmm. when I was reading her book. Like you're good. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> we all need that, right? <laughs> I give it to myself often. <laughs> I should give it to myself more. I try. Um, I'm sometimes I can probably be the warrior class with myself. <laughs> oh, I've definitely seen that in you. You're definitely the, you're the take charge person in the group too, Danny. So yeah. Yeah. So it's kind of like a mixed bag going over, going on over here. Yeah. Um, anything else you wanted to add to that? That was wonderful. I don't know. I think, I think that's just a really like brief, synopsis i mean i could be more a little more clear about the two brain systems but i think the audience will get the gist of it and if yeah not, and i think please go get her book because it's really <laughs> it's really good exactly that's what i was gonna say if not <laughs> if they have any questions feel free to get the book um we we both highly recommend it um i read it twice because i read it a long time ago and then i wanted to reread it for this right. so i could accurately speak to right, it, right. of course um, okay. Anything else before we jump to the next part? I'm good, Danny. Should we move on to digital shorts? Let's do it. So for those of you who have or have not seen it, um, there's a digital short on dannygolden.com called Don't Be So Sensitive. And so we are going to dissect that right now. Um, and I did this short because I feel like these experiences have happened to me. And um, this was sort of my way of communicating with people who have felt the same way or experienced the same things. Mm -hmm. And again, the content I put out there is stuff that um, when I was going through these interesting life experiences, really was looking for validation from the world or someone who was openly talking about it. Mm -hmm. So um, this is my way to make people feel not so alone in their experiences and um, I think we can all identify with each part of those scenes in some capacity. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Fila, the first scene? Yeah. That... So the first part is um, a friend is oh. walking up to me. I see her at, the, at a coffee shop and they feel inclined to tell me that a mutual other friend um, hates me. Right, right, right. Right. So... Um, you know, no one likes to receive negative information, even if we don't have the best relationship with someone or we may not jive. Let's just simply put it that way. Right. Um, it's not an, an enjoyable experience to be told that someone doesn't like you. Now, it doesn't mean that you have to 
care or you're going to change who you are. It's just when that information is told, what is told in the situations when that's happened in real life, when that information is told to me, I'm it's, it often feels like I'm blindsided. So you're, I'm more dealing with being blindsided by information I wasn't expecting to receive. And how do I digest that rather than this person doesn't like you, you know, and it often feels like the party that is deciding to share that information with me is looking for a reaction of sorts, right? Almost like they want me to match their emotions. Uh Yeah. Their negativity Mm -hmm. and feed it. And I don't want to feed that fire. I'm not interested. Yeah, that's that's where good boundary work comes in, I think, that you're describing, where if someone is inviting you to engage in negative um, negative behavior, like talking badly about someone or saying, saying negative things about someone um, to protect yourself, you know, to protect myself, to keep myself safe. But yeah, I disengaged. I disengage or, or I don't accept the invitation in some way, shape or form. Right. Right. And you're not the first person to not like me and you're not going to be the last. So it's like, what would you like me to do with this information? There's really in my, we've talked about this and we'll share with the audience, but you know, Heidi was um, pretty brilliant in saying that she, in identifying and observing that she's a slow processor. And so when we were having one of our offline conversations, I was thinking about that for myself and really paying attention to how I digested information. And I started realizing that I'm the same way. And I think when those situations happen and someone walks up to me and they're like, Hey, I ran into this person, the other Sheila, the other day, and she hates you. Um, I'm more stuck in, is this really happening? What is, I I don't even, you know what I mean? Like I haven't even gotten out of the starting gate. I'm just like, what is going on right now? Am I in some Seinfeld episode? Like, I'm just not, where am I? And, um, and then, you know, later I'll get out of the gate and it's already over. The moment's over. And then, you know, right. so yeah. I think that's an interesting observation about being a slow processor and then, and how that can actually be beneficial. I think so. I think so. I mean, I, I think that when I take the time to explore what has happened to me during an interaction later, I'm more able to, um, come up with a response to it that is thoughtful and accurate versus like in the moment, it's a reaction of confusion. I'm shutting down now. I'm disassociating. I'm not like, I'm totally disengaging (laughs) because it's too much. And I think Dr. Aaron talks about this overstimulation um, that occurs for HSPs. She talks about how someone can become like a child develops this trait when they um, have an overstimulating parent or an understimulating parent. So in that, in that digital short, this woman that is talking to you about how much she hates you, like, I think she, you're getting overwhelmed by her, her negativity and her intense, like, she was like really like passionate about this fact. Right. Right. And wanted engagement. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you're right. It's more um, like the turtle. Like I was out and I was hanging out and then I just went back into my shell and I'm like, we're not home right now. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like I've decided Danny's not home right now. You can leave your name and number and she may or may not call you back. 
right? That's what's happening. That's all that's happening, <laughs> that's all that's happening right now. She's left the building. <laughs> exactly. So yeah, no, that's a, that I love the way that you put that. Um, yeah. And then the second part of that short, um, I'm at the dog park. Yes. And you know, you just talked about having two dogs and, and I have a dog and have had several, um, have had the privilege of having several in my life. Yeah. Cause I just don't know what I would do without one. Um, and the friend is suggesting that I don't pick up Barkley's dog poop. And, um, of course I'm going to, because it's the right thing to do. Um, so that was, but, you know, we've all been in situations where, and it doesn't even have to be about dog poop, but where as a dog owner, where another dog owner will try to tell you how to treat your dog or there's like, and this could be its own episode, right? Where you, we get into that. That, that is the reason for that, that part of the thing is like touching upon, you know, everyone's going to have an opinion about everything that you do. Like, Hey, don't do it. You know, nobody's doing it. Don't do it. And, you know, I know what's going to prevent me, um, from, I mean, I am that cheesy and caring that it probably would prevent me from like, it would be something that I would think about what before I went to bed. So like, I know what's going to allow me to sleep comfortably at night and I'm going to behave accordingly. Right. If it's, it requires me to go a little out of my way and do something that I, you know, um, it, it may be easier not to pick it up, but I'm going to feel better about myself picking it up because I know that if the roles were reversed and someone had left there, dogs poop out and I happen to step in it or even not, I would just be, you know, turned off by that. How lazy are you that you can't pick it up? Right. You know, you have this responsibility, clean up, literally clean up your, the side of your side of the street. Right. Yeah. That was, I was asking because I think that was, that was a, um, an example of you drawing a boundary with that woman, you know, by saying like, it's the right thing to do. I'm gonna do right. That. Even if they didn't agree. Yeah, yeah. Even if they didn't agree, exactly. Yeah. And then the third part of that, um, I am telling one of my guy friends that um, I'm kind of not, I'm sort of venting to one of my uh -huh. guy friends and saying, you know, I wasn't comfortable with something that Tom said. And what I've learned about myself and um, the direction I gave my friend Jesus, who's acting in this um part of the scene uh -huh. is that, and something that works for me well, because uh -huh. I have a lot of male friends, um, they'll joke with me. And with that helps me because of what we were talking about with being overstimulated. So when I'm absor absorbing a piece of information that may be a little bit more difficult for me to digest, um, I always, and we talked about this on the last episode, but I use humor as my main calming agent. Um, right. So when Jesus says the Cat Williams quote, we only have, you know, X amount of haters, you got to increase it. I gave him that direction because for me, dissecting it further doesn't always help. And so, um, yes, there's the element that, you know, he's acknowledging my sensitivity and also saying, okay, we're not going to feed this. We're going mm -hmm. to... Mm -hmm. diffuse it this way. And, um, and it, and it goes back to, again, what we talked about in episode two, we just, um, slowly covered, uh, 
you know, like covered it a little bit, but um, the importance of humor in healing. Yes, yes, that was that was a good, um, I think, like interaction to show how you were trying to do that. Okay, so what does it mean to be a highly sensitive person? Um, we we talked about the science behind it. Um, we talked about, um, I did mention that it's our ability to process subtle stimuli in a different way that impacts how we see the world and what we react to, which is what you said. Um, what it means to be over aroused and how we navigate that, like we were just talking about in the digital short. Mm -hmm. um, and what we said at the beginning, it is okay to operate within the world in a way that makes you comfortable. Um, and this was something that she was talking about in the book that Dr. Um, Aaron. Aaron was talking about in the book that, um, and I used to experience this. Um, so when I would go to uh, networking events, which are not my favorite, I'm not the best at small talk. I seldom stay on the surface. Um, she was talking about, you know, awkward silences, for example, and always having the perfect comeback. And so we had already talked about when you're a slower processor, it might feel like you, you're frozen for a second. So you might not have that, feel like you have that perfect comeback. But sometimes, um, and I and my takeaway from what she was saying is that just being you and having your natural response is the best way to go. So if it is an awkward silence, that's okay. You don't have to fill the air right? Absolutely. Or um, feel like you have to say the perfect thing. Like if you're in the moment digesting it and don't say say anything at all, sometimes saying nothing is the best comeback that you can come up with, right? Totally. And silence is normal in conversation because oftentimes silence, silence means so many things. It could mean like we're processing like you're saying, or that we need, we need more time to um, understand, you know, what's going on. Um, mm -hmm. it and it gives people a chance to, to, to think about what they're hearing too. So pauses are, are actually a good thing, not a bad thing in conversation. No, I a hundred percent agree. I mean, it's like when you're with someone that you're really comfortable with and you can be silent together. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. You know, you don't have to fill the air with nonsense right. or just yeah, meaningless conversation just to feel like comfortable. Um, all H all HSPs are created differently. And yes, like it, just because you act differently and might not behave in the norm doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. So yes, it is learning to love yourself despite your differences because we're all different. Right. Using my tools for um, emotion regulation so that I can bring my sensitivity down from like a 10 to a 2. Um, did you want to say more? I wanted to go into like strategies for how to deal with overload or over arousal. No, go for it, please. Okay. okay. So I see these strategies as, um, self-care, self-love and Dr. Erin does a beautiful job. She's, she's so good at bringing up how to handle, um, situations that are over arousing or overstimulating for a person. Um, her suggestions are reframing the situation, trying to think, trying to see the situation or the narrative in a different way, whatever the story is we're telling ourselves so that we can um, feel more comfortable, less, less activated um, by the situation. Like what we were talking about in this, in the digital short. Yeah. yeah. 
repeat repeat a phrase prayer or mantra repeat a phrase prayer or mantra that through daily practice you can you have to associate with deeper inner calm and peace this is a suggestion that i make to myself all day long um where like if i'm feeling if if i'm aware of a feeling of being overwhelmed um I will remind myself to breathe in, breathe in, breathe out. I'll just say, I'll do the hard work of saying breathe in, breathe out like numerous times to slow down my heart rate, to send a signal to my central nervous system to help me calm down, to um, regulate my feelings. That's a, I like that suggestion. I love that. Yeah. Witnessing your arousal. That's actually, for me, that's step one is, is the, um, awareness of it, which requires the, the ability through practice of noticing when I'm feeling uncomfortable, like maybe my speech is getting a little, like my voice is getting a little thinner or like my, my breath is getting a little shorter or my heart is beating a little faster. When I get those physical cues, that's when I'm able to use these strategies or tools to help me emotionally regulate. So that for me, that's really step one is witnessing the over arousal. Um, love the situation. I think this, this suggestion, um, goes hand in hand with her suggestion to reframe. Um, she talks about how, if we're, if we're, if we can't love the situation, um, love yourself in the state that you are like, try to be kind to yourself is what she's saying. Um, which sort of, for me, like goes along with the idea of reframing, like seeing myself as an okay person because I'm feeling like all these feelings are feeling overwhelmed. I feel like that's hard sometimes. Oh, when totally. you're in the, yeah, totally. This is all, but I love that. No, I know. No, this is great. I love this. Nothing easy about any of that, right. that she's suggesting for sure, but it's practice. It's all, mm -hmm. it's all about practice where the more we practice it, the more, um, automatic, you know, it becomes, it doesn't get easier, but we're, we're like quicker, more efficient at getting yes. emotion regulation. And then her last um, strategy that she talks about is, um, and these are these are all like behavioral and cognitive strategies, just to be clear. Um, she talks about loving your arousal against that, like loving the situation, like love that you are as unique as you are and as different as you are, I think is what she's mm -hmm. emphasizing. Um, All right. So those are her cognitive strategies. And then her physical strategies are, um, she suggests music to change your mood, which I think is a good one. I always use music. Me too. Me too. Like in the car. I'm, mm -hmm. I know for me, like when I'm having a tough time and I know I'm about to drive, like, I'm like, okay, turn the radio on quickly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, so music, she suggests get out of the situation. And I, I, often recommend this to clients where I'll tell them like, if you're, if you're feeling anxious, sit overstimulated, understimulated, bored, get up, get up from where you're at, go get a glass of water, like change your scenery, go outside, you know, that is going to help 
my mood. Barkley does that. And I, I noticed that he does that when he's uncomfortable and he'll just like move and change situations. And I, and I'll stay in a situation longer because I think sometimes being able to think and analyze, you can get stuck more. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's exactly why she's recommending this because she doesn't want mm-hmm. you to stuck. Right. Close your eyes to shut out some of the st- stimulation. Oh, good suggestion. Um, take frequent breaks. Go outdoors. Use water to take the stress away. Drinking water. Um, take a walk. Calm your breathing. Adjust your posture to be more relaxed and confident. Move and smile softly. I love the last one. Smile softly. Like these are really, really good suggestions. Um, Great. Yeah. These are think the kind of things I need to write down on a post-it note and like put on a mirror that I, or like somewhere where I see that post-it note regularly so that I can be reminded, like I have all these tools. I can do all these things to take care of myself. That's a great suggestion. All self-love, um, all self-care and self-love, mm-hmm. um, action that we can take. I love that. Yeah. More thoughts uh, on loving oneself with HSP. Um, no, I think it's, um, I think it can feel lonely. And I think this isn't just for HSPs. I've had conversations with my girlfriends that would not consider themselves as sensitive as I am. And it's not a bad thing or it's just, you know, and it's probably one of the reasons why we get along is I just get a lot, you know, I, you admire different characteristics and different people. And, um, yeah. And I, and we've even had that conversation where it can be lonely sometimes to have an observation about something and um, to feel like you're the only one in that moment observing it. And um, so those are really great tools for everybody to Absolutely. utilize. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Non-H- non-HS- non-HSPs as well. Yes, exactly. And um before we get into your PSA, I just want to share the story that with, um, I had this really interesting conversation with my cousin, um, who I feel like is very even keeled emotionally. Um, and we were sitting having, um, cocktails and some appetizers and I was complimenting her and just, you know, on her life and just saying, you know, as an observer, I just feel like you've done the brilliant job of navigating your life beautifully, um, despite the obstacles that you've encountered. And it was interesting. Her response was um, that while I was judging myself for having highs and lows and, and kind of being this ocean as opposed to this calm lake, mm-hmm. you know, there was this admiration that she had because she said, well, my lows might be lower, but my highs are higher. And there's something mm-hmm. beautiful about that. And I'd never looked at it myself or my behavior through her eyes. And so it was this beautiful moment of um, mutual admiration for each other's qualities and our differences. And I just think um, it's just a reminder that sometimes it might be helpful to look at yourself like a stranger, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, It's, it's, there's, there's mutual envy. (laughs) Right. Right. Yeah. When we're envying someone else, they're envying us in some way. Right. For sure. Yeah. We don't always think about that. Um, okay. Let's jump into your PSA. Okay. PSA time. So the, the therapy office of the, of 
episode three is Alliant Couple and Family Clinic. And and this was a nod to you, actually, because you live in San Diego, and I wanted to find something in San Diego. Thank you, um, Heidi. Yeah. Um, and as it turns out, they have a location in Long Beach also, which is in my neighborhood. So it was meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> the silent. <laughs> Alliant Couple and Family Clinic. Their uh, their phone number is 858-547-9803. 858-547-9803. And their San Diego office is located at 10065 Old Grove Road, Suite 102, uh, San Diego 92131. And then their Long Beach... Uh, location is 4281 Catella Avenue, Suite 207, Los Alamitos, 90720. And what I discovered from their website was that there, um, these these uh, P- these public service announcements are, are only going to be f- for people looking for low-cost or free therapy, and this is a low-cost uh, therapy location office. Um, they have trainees and associates that provide therapy, but just because you're seeing a trainee or associate doesn't mean you're, you're not getting a great service because they're working with a whole team of licensed people. Um, the trainees, uh, charge anywhere between $40 a session to $130 a session. And the, um, Marriage and Family Therapist Associates are charging $80 to $150. And I think when you call these places, if you give them a little bit of background on your finances, they they will even slide down further, um, possibly. So I think it's worth worth, um, going through the trouble of, like, talking to someone and, and, and giving your story. And they're by appointment only. Um... And you can find them on the internets under Alliant Couple and Family Clinic. Perfect. And I will also put that information um, in the copy below okay. this podcast so that, you know, listeners and viewers can find it there. Yes. Well, thank you so much, Heidi. Um, so we're going to wrap up this episode with today's question, which is, um, you know, I acknowledge at the beginning of the episode that we're both um, highly sensitive people. And so I think it would be really helpful for you, Heidi, to share a time when you realized that you were different or learned that you were a highly sensitive person. Yeah, it was in my 20s when I discovered this about myself, this trait that I have and still have, and I'm okay with it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think it, it came, that awareness came to me when I would sit with my therapist in his office for the first year, I think I pretty much all I did was cry like every session. It took me like a good year to get comfortable being vulnerable and revealing who I truly was because I felt so not okay with who I was and so different. And so, um, so for lack of a better way of putting it, like struggling with like how to be a social person, how to be a social human being, 
Um, and on top of that, like going to undergrad, being in school around so many people, like totally overstimulated by college and my first time living on my own and um, um, dating, you know, all those things um, made me so overwhelmed. And Ruben would make space for it. You know, he would he would radically, he radically accepted where I was at. And it taught me to radically accept where I, where I am. Um, and gave me that internal, um, the good mom, you know, or the good dad that I needed to, to be able to develop the, the skill of like, I see you, I know you're, I see you having a hard time and, and it's okay. Like you're, this is temporary. It's not forever. Um, you know, developing all these like internal phrases that I could reassure myself with. So I think, yeah, it, it was when I observed that every time I went into session and he would ask me questions and I would just start crying, you know, it, it made me understand about myself that I am really different from most people and that, that he taught me that it's okay. Um, I don't think I was, I've seen, I've seen other therapists and I saw one psychiatrist one at one point, um, for medication, but like that, that never came up. I think it's something that I kind of self-diagnosed. Um, and HSP is not a diagnosis. It's actually just a personality trait, like all the other personality traits. So it's not something that like you can treat with medication necessarily, or like, um, it's, it's not something covered by insurance. You know, everyone has something and that's just happens to be the thing that I have. So, um, he never said like, you have this or you have that. He just thought you're, you're developing, growing, you know, human being, and we're not going to like label you as, you know, anything in particular, cause you're still developing. So, so yeah, never came up like as a specific topic during my sessions. It's something I became more aware of later in life when I started developing these um, strategies for coping, I think. That's, thank you for sharing. That's very interesting. And I think extremely helpful for the viewers and listeners um, because in some sense, you know, you crying is being completely vulnerable. I mean, not in some sense, in a complete sense, that is you um, being that way. And, you know, digesting, I'm using that word a lot, but, you know, the breadth of who you are. And I think um, it's kind of that theme of breaking down to break through. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And I think that's, yeah, you know, right, really beautiful. Um I wrote this in one of my pieces, no mud, no bud. It's not this beautiful, like I've seen clips right. online where people are like, what spiritual awakening looks like, or people think mm -hmm. it looks like versus what it really is. And it is, it's sitting in an office crying. It's having these uncomfortable conversations with people right. Right. and yourself. Right. And um, I just think it's important. And then also to acknowledge that it is a trait. It's not a diagnosis. Um, it's just an observation and um I was thinking of that movie Soul, that Pixar movie. I think it's Pixar, where uh -huh. they put um, the, the the theory in the um, in the film is that they put 
different souls and different tents to make them like different people, like give them right. different traits and characteristics. And I was thinking there's an HSP tent, oh, yeah. you know, right, right. So, you know, right. Yeah, totally. Um, so yeah, I was just thinking about that. Um, but thank you so much for sharing Heidi. Um, it's always a pleasure. Danny, I, I want to thank you too, for your courage, you know, as much as, as much as, um, Like this topic is stigmatized. I think, yeah. you know, you're doing a, a really good job at like making it, making it normal, I think, by talking about it and by sharing your experience as well. Um, takes a lot of courage. So um, I want to thank you as a participant. <laughs> Well, thank you. I could not do this without you. Um, having your wisdom, your knowledge, and your expertise is incredibly um, appreciated, um, helpful, and necessary. Um, and I think, you know, having here. what? Happy to be here. Happy to have the conversation. Yeah. And, you know, if what if what we can, the information we can put out there can help people, um, you know, I know you and I, that's what our goal is, is like just to make people feel not alone. You know, unfortunately, I feel like we live in a society where we're getting more in our quarters and not coming together as much. And um, so if people are going to stay in their homes, at least listen to this or watch this and know that it's okay to be who you are. You're beautiful. You're special. You're loved. And, you know, we're all experiencing this difficult thing called life together. Right. So, and I think I'll end on that. Um, and please tune in for episode four, where we dissect um, the digital short, um, where um, I'm at a dinner with a future potential in-law and what transpires in that situation and how we've all we can we all can relate to that kind of situation where we may not get along with potential in-laws and what that looks like and boundary work and all that good stuff so thank you so much for your time and we appreciate you <laughs>